0: Hello again, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Trial by Fire. And uh, our guest today is uh, Tanelli Reuninen. How are you today? Great, great, but a bit tired. <laughs> yeah, I saw that you were on a, a cycle trip yesterday. It looked like hell with those with those uh, mosquitoes. How's your body feel today? Um,
1: swollen, tired, and
0: <laughs>
1: sort of I, 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 I got a good reminder that it's, uh, yeah. Lapland is a, one of the most spectacular Play places to spend time outdoors, but only in the very early season uh, or in the, in the in the fall, mid mid summer, mid Yeah, you should maybe head elsewhere.
0: <laughs> I've I've been getting absolutely killed by the uh, mosquitoes this year, even even where I am.
2: Well, it's good it's good for your character. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, but it's not good good for your mental health. <laughs> yeah, but uh, so so fifty months, forty four thousand kilometers, thirty eight countries. You spent between twenty fourteen and twenty sixteen cycling from Finland to Bali, and then in twenty seventeen and twenty eighteen from Patagonia to Alaska, and then back to Finland across Siberia between twenty eighteen and twenty nineteen. Um, you are currently running the website Gone Bike Fishing, which is a really beautiful collection of uh, stories from your journey, along with like tips and tricks for cyclists. And you've just recently partnered with the European, I believe, it's the European Regional Development Fund. Uh, to connect and map over 2,000 kilometers of gravel logging roads, single track paths uh, in the Arctic region stretching from Finland to Norway. So you've been quite busy on your bike over the last, what, five years? Yeah. Um, yeah, I started the, <laughs> <laughs> I
1: started a four-year four, four bike trip in 2014. Mm. And uh, yeah, the plan was to the first first do the sort of a silk road on, on, on gravel roads and that, that took me that, that's what I did. The thirty-two thousand kilometers uh, took me two years to reach Bali. Then I was actually I was planning to continue like the the whole big picture was to like the plan was to, to travel around the world with without using any, any fossil fuels. And uh, but but then <laughs> then in Bali uh, the boat I got onto was a scam and then I just lost all, all, all my money and was luck luck. I to get out, out of the boat. I, I, I had a break, break, break in Valley. And then as a side story, I've, I've had this hard thing develop, a hard problem, like progressing in the background. So I actually, I had a, like a heart checkup planned. And then I continued to South America after the heart checkup after that. Then it was two more years. Um, that was only on this. Like then I changed the way I traveled. I wanted to go lighter. I, then I changed to a big, like a more voluminous tires, and then I was yeah spent two years in the Andes, and then the plan was to continue Alaska and then through Siberia back home. But then that that was not what what I ended up doing. Uh, then after two years in the Andes, <laughs> then then I felt that that was enough, and I I I had sort of I have found I had achieved what I sort of felt that I what what, what wanted to achieve, and I also also met a girl who, who is now my wife and the mom, mom of my kids. So there were a few, a few reasons to stop touring for a while.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, like this kind of this rise of bicycle adventuring and kind of long distance experiences, um, they seem to be kind of really sprouting up now. I, I mean, look, maybe it's just me being sort of hopeful and enthusiastic because I'm quite new to this. But I genuinely feel like we're kind of on this sort of the cusp of something interesting because... I don't know, maybe it's like rising fuel costs or maybe it's like, you know, the, the, the fact that people are spending a lot more money these days on experiential sort of vacations rather than maybe on maybe more materialistic items. Um, but I mean, even just last week, there was, you know, the English cycle adventure, uh, Charlie Walker, he was on the Joe Rogan podcast talking about his like cycle trips and stuff. And it's just, just this real sort of well maybe again maybe it's just a bias because i'm my kind of eyes and ears are open to it but do you feel that there's like in terms of like popularity it's not just weird weird weirdos on the fringes of society doing these things anymore
1: yeah i feel i feel something big is going on and just by by seeing the numbers like bike touring as a way to travel has been like the mark market has been quite big but it's but since like seven eight years, it, it has started to change so much. It's like <laughs> like back in the days that like the two typical, typical bike tourists might be in this like you no know, of course retired people. Interestingly, right, but it sort of makes having sense. the time to spend. And but now like I I, I think I think the bikepacking here here is a key key for the change as well. Like like partly on the one side is the lifestyle trends are a sustainability a sustainability issues but i think really that the bike packing, uh, it, it made bi- bicycle touring lighter like and it created this like spirit of spirit of adventure like spark the spirit of adventure uh, again in the bicycle touring which has always been there but it had been like a niche thing and now like thinking of the lifestyle trends and travel trends people want to you know have their unique experiences they they want to like uh, re rewild even I, i'm not sure what that means but except li- like literally rewild they are lo- looking for something that is not uh, shaped that much by by a human hand which of course is super hard to find that, and how bike touring how bike touring looks like it's a perfect match like on on, on instagram how it looks like it's um, those campsite pictures and uh, like single track in a forest carrying all you need for the night and cook cooking in the camp like those those are kind of experiences that are like they, they are people are searching for them and they don't who, who don't have the skills they pay a lot to to get them as well and and there is this beauty as well that you can you can really make the adventure your own.
0: Yeah, and and I suppose um, you know the the idea of adventure cycling has been around for such a long time. I mean, for anybody who's interested that's listening, just Google the Rough Stuff Fellowship. (laughs) These guys from you know in the nineteen fifties and sixties were basically doing the same thing, but like on like you know city bikes and road bikes that you just the bike that they had. Yeah, Um, going from going across Iceland on like you know little bikes from the 50s and stuff. so so there's, there's nothing new here when that's no. the thing i kind of find interesting
1: yes
0: i think and even in the into the 60s and 70s like cycle touring and kind of being on your bike being on a, on a all-terrain bicycle in the 80s and stuff was about adventure and things but i think my understanding of biking or cycling before i got into this was kind of all about speed and racing and like you know i when i think of a guy on a bicycle i think like you're saying like the guy that rocks up to a cafe uh on a saturday full racing gear from head to toe in his in his like mid 50s um and it just never really seemed appealing to me but the idea to to combine it with the ability to travel across like you know the the terrain that I find myself in anyway as sort of an outdoors person or a bushcraft kind of enthusiast in the forest along kind of lakes and things for me I think that's really appealing and the, the crossover there where I don't have to carry my gear on my back but I can carry it on two wheels I think that's it's a really nice uh sort of crossover there and, and again it's not it's it's nothing new but it's been repackaged I think in the last few years at least from what I can see of the historical sort of story behind it
1: yeah it's- like the, the backstory is so interesting. Like in 1870, bicycle touring was the most common way to travel. 1870, that was a long time ago. Wow. Well, yeah. And, and it, it also has this like a, 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 a elements of equality that it's really bicycle traveling, like it's for everybody the first, it's for everybody. And like back mm. in the days, we, women couldn't travel alone unless they had a bicycle.
0: It was like an equalizer.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And we just found this book. It was um, maybe from 40s in, in, in English we found it from a local like local bookshop in Rovaniemi, just 200 kilometers away uh, but let's call it local local because that's the nearest bookshop <laughs> <laughs> yeah I'm, 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 I'm based in the northern, quite far north in Finland uh. so anyway in this book in the book they there was like deals like tips women to travel and they're like pages and pages of this for, 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 for women to tour on a bicycle and it was really in the book highlighted as a, like you know the best and the safest way for women to, mm. to travel and that's really fascinating and i did sort of a like a history review of the uh, of bicycle touring in 2019 and i found all these like interesting elements like in the first world war a biological touring was was used as a way for the troops to like travel from one area to another and and it's still in the finnish military i think everybody we we have a a compulsory service so many many people do the service so they they ride these bikes from I don't know who, how old. Yeah.
0: Yeah. But so for me, um, or while I was thinking about this and kind of, kind of crossing it over into the likes of the types of things that Jeremias and I normally talk about on this podcast, which is, um, not just, not just like adventures, but also like self, self sufficiency, self reliance, um, uh, bushcraft skills and things. And, you know, when I was thinking about how to approach this podcast or this kind of conversation, because it is, it is like, it's a new thing that uh, I kind of have introduced a little bit into the podcast. We spoke to, uh, I spoke to Payman of Nomads Trails, yeah. who I believe you're friends with a couple yeah. of months ago. Um, and yeah, it's completely kind of off to the side of what we normally talk about. But actually the 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 kind of side of it that I'm interested in is this kind sort of self-sufficiency skills. But what I've noticed with, uh, or something that I saw uh, recently, with uh, like, let's say on the bike packing or cycle tour racing, it seems to be a bit of a crossover now with things like the tour divide, which is currently ongoing at the moment. Um, they have very strict rules around what's considered sort of a self aided race versus an aided race or a self, you know, driven race versus an aided race and things. And with I noticed with the, like bad weather and things this year, there's been a huge number of people being evacuated by mountain rescue workers and things. And uh, my question is, do you think that more cyclists, you know, they could benefit from learning some self-reliance and wilderness bushcraft skills, maybe? Because Jeremias and I talk about this all the time, where it's like, w- with both of you guys b- being based so far north, Jeremias is in, uh, is in, uh, Norrbotten. And, and so, you know, really knows what kind of cold weather feels like. But then a lot of these people that maybe are cyclists, they're not used to being on, in, in such cold weather on, on those altitudes. And therefore it's like, are you actually in danger or are you in danger of being injured or killed? Or are you just really uncomfortable because you're not used to those sort of levels of, of kind of cold and things? And I would wonder, and this is a very long-winded question, but I would wonder, could cyclists benefit, particularly if they're on these of races, from learning some wil- wilderness skills, some self-reliant skills?
1: Especially now when the trend seems to be that people finally want to spend more time outdoors. These like basic basic things like making fire, like understanding your needs, so like mental and physical need. Like it's more on a short short trip. It's more 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 physical than mental. But like understanding when, when to put on your jacket, so like way before you actually get cold, and understanding that okay you have cold hands because you actually have cold like wet feet, and and when to when when the time you're eating when to when to force yourself to drink because you're sweating so much and when understanding that (laughs) that it actually has been two three hours the last time you had a pee and so you're probably drying up like dehydrating like those are think like quite basic skills and I think like just I don't know I would say I'm making a guess here 50 years ago like those skills were basic really basic and those are and that's how people <laughs> have been, like, we are coded to, to read those signs. It's not, not too difficult, that just people don't, don't have a clue anymore. They, they work by their laptop. They spend their spare time with, <laughs> with, with, with the, with the cell phone and go out, go out, like, I don't know, <laughs> not, not oft, often enough. Yeah. So, yeah, definitely. And when, when you, when, when you say that you're, you're personally, you like, um, yeah, like, like to do trips alone, self, so self sufficiency. That was my, that, that was my, my, my thing. And it's still my thing. I cannot imagine, like, it, it would be hard to do a long, longer trip with, um, with a group of people, maybe with someone like very significant person, maybe my wife and my kid. Yeah. Sure. Then I would want to make, make it worth. Because I want them to, to get those kind of experiences and um, what I've got. I sleep in 1,500 nice outdoors, and I like going to different, different cultures, climates, conditions from 45 degrees in a, in a de- de- desert without shadow to, to minus my, minus 30, 30 here in the Arctic, and still being comfortable and happy. I think that's the key. Many people think that being outdoors, like it's you sort of push your boundaries, like that you have to push your boundaries of, of comfort. But for me, being outdoors is always about, has been, and it is about being comfort. It's a sustainable way to be be outdoors, because I, in, in the long haul.
2: I mean, it, it, that, that touches a little bit on, uh, on um, a thought that I had, like how, because I read a little bit on your blog about um, you always wanted to be 110% prepared. And uh, always had everything with you in case of the world going to to uh, come to an end. That's my words, not yours. But what? How do you, how do you how do you define self sufficiency? Because there's self sufficiency is of course a spectrum depending on uh, your skill set. Mm-hmm. And how, how how you define it?
1: Yeah, I for me by by touring on the long trip it was about traveling um and seeing like as much as much natural beauty that i could on the way so it's sort of like that by the idea of the trip it, it, it always kept kept me moving so i i w- wasn't making a base camp and then making day trips from there it was always like finding the most interesting most beautiful uh, route from A to B. So that sort of defines a lot what self sufficiency and why what what it what it meant in that context. So so I, I, I need to be comfortable enough, like physically comfortable enough to to move. So that pushed me towards going quite light. But on the other hand, like you said, I actually thought those could have been my words and I actually thought that you read them. From my blog because that that was my mindset <laughs> <laughs> that was my mindset that if the world comes to an end like you know i i, I i'm here i have all the buy bi- all the tools to fix my bike yeah i have like quite don't many skills to to go like so i don't necessarily need a spare tire because i have these skills like i've learned to fix my tire with a, like a tooth um, tooth string and and a super glue and then I, if that doesn't work, I still have a few more options to, mm. to try to fix it before I, you know, need to start pushing my bike. And, and that's like option D. And, and that works okay as well. If it's about survival, I just, need, I, I will be a bit slower and I probably have some backup food. And then my stove <laughs> made in a way, I started to making stove myself on the road alcohol, alcohol burning stoves. So yeah, to make it like, you need to have the exactly the right number of holes where, the, where the, um, the gas, alcoholic gas comes out. And then it needs to be exactly the right height. So it works in cold climate. Like, but if you make it too small, it burns with the too high heat and it's really difficult to burn and you will waste fuel. And so I, uh, you need to like op- optimize these little things to, Like you need to have all the all the all the parts in in balance in in balance. So it makes no sense to carry a lot lot, lot of food in the in the in the rainy, chilly, and winter, where it can be quite hard to make 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 fire sometimes in the snow. So you need to match your like a fuel consumption to how much food you have, and then like I I always fish on the way, but I've learned by by experience that. It it should not be your only lifeline. I did this year,
2: so the the idea of, of a of a, just throwing a little fishing kit in your backpack and you're good to go and survive forever is sort of myth busted in your book.
1: Yeah, it's it's myth busted because I want to be mo- moving forward. That's uh, it changes like right, like um, the uh, the 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 definition of self sufficiency when you're when you're moving long haul. Like it's yeah, it's so different. It all comes to saving energy. So, like, what, what saves you energy? Okay, okay, I made this stove. Specific kind of stove which so doesn't use much fuel, and I opt- o- op- optimize the kind of wind wind um, wind cover, and with has a specific amount of millimeters on the side. So I, 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 I save fuel, and because that works, I don't need to carry the 700 or 800 gram um, petrol stove. So this is the case when you're moving. like. So you, you've been cycling six hours, like with breaks. It's totally, like you've been the whole day on the bike, from nine o'clock to like six, seven o'clock in the evening. Or ba- basically the way, way, way I do uh, fishing when I'm touring, let's call it bike fishing. I, 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 I quite often only, I, I choose a nice route, which has nice uh, rivers, which are close close my route, or go like, or there's a bridge under my route. So I like, do a still a, like certain distance a day. Unless the fishing is fantastic, then I then I stop. But but if it's cold climate, like you would need to you would need to put your all clothes on, like because you, when you are cycling, you're you're producing a lot of heat, so you probably have like in plus five, I still have my thin merino wool t shirt and uh, like a um, balaclava, like really going really uh, light. Like clothed, then I stop the fish. I can fish like probably like 20 minutes, so that's enough to do like one or two pulls. And if I want to go and continue further, like downstream or upstream, I like then it changes. I need to unload my bike a little bit and put more clothes on. And um, because I have cycled and then I fished, I probably get hungry. So, like, and if I was assuming that I would catch the fish to eat and I don't, then I'm cold. And hungry, so I had to actually catch the fish much before. So I carried it on my bike, and then I would eat the fish before I before Go I start fishing, fishing again. <laughs> yeah, and it just legend. You just like yeah when you when you're on the bike. Like I, I'm sure it's the same when you are you are trekking, like traveling by walking. Yeah, it's the food keeps you warm. Like it's it's good <laughs> mental health, your physical. Capability to carry the carry the backpack or ride the bike and and yeah yeah it's a it's a challenging match. So the way how, like my my bike fishing how it has developed over the years. Now I fish with the Tenkara, so it's like a simple fly fishing, like um yeah just one one simple stick stick with a um, I uh, now I have like a sort of my own version of Tenkara. It's like a I can adjust the length from one point eight meters to 4.7 meters so it's like actually made from a no normal fishing like um you, you know you fish with a hook hook, hook and a worm yeah I, uh, yeah yeah so so it's actually made for that but i find it handy to to have three different like to have this great different lens
2: so you made and it uh, th- you made it from a fishing rod just a normal stick rod for fishing yeah. the hook and, and
1: yeah worm. yeah and oh, that's cool i've been
2: thinking about doing that as well it's yeah, it nice that, that it uh, heres to hear that uh, it works well
1: yeah it, yeah it's quite nice because really like when it comes to bike fishing you need to be- become like you need to do it fast you need to efficient efficiently mm. fish the pool and the, for the, those places where you think the fish might be it cannot take too long so it works per- perfectly for that because it takes like I don't know one one minute to op- op- open the line in my my I guess I use uh, uh, just a normal fly. Uh, fly line backing, so it's it's floating, and then mm-hmm. I then I have a simple lee, lee and, and a type of fly. I've been going towards this like a one fly philosophy the past five years, and just a few different sizes, but I'm um, like hairy.
2: And that works.
1: Yeah, of course you need to like a, a bit know like. uh yeah, you need you need to know about fishing to understand how, how how to use it. So I can use the same fly to fish from the bottom, like to use it as a like as a streamer to look like a, it looks like a tiny fish.
0: That's that's a really good example of uh, how something in theory might sound really appealing or really romantic uh versus the practical implications of what that means um and i think in the outdoor industry or again like bushcraft and self-reliance and you know people trying to minimize their kit and stuff this is a, a there's a huge crossover there whether it's on a bike or whether it's hiking or whether it's you know bushcraft or survival or whatever kind of category you want to put yourself in i think in on paper a lot of these things can seem really like well a good idea until you kind of get into the field and the practical implications of what something like. Well, I actually need a fish already because, uh, if I do catch a fish, I'm going to be hungry and cold by the time I get it. So then I have to light my fire and then I have to, and that's, that's even if I just get a fish, like that's if I actually catch something, you know, fishing and cycling on paper seem like a really romantic. It seems like a really romantic sort of notion, but actually you're saying that it's would be extremely difficult in most circles. Circumstances to do that
1: yeah exactly yeah yeah i think it changes like if, if if you have a base camp if you build your shelter and maybe you find a way to preserve it and you know salt it, like a cold smoke it whatever you do your best to to make it make it last but on the tour it's like quite <laughs> quite, quite different and this like it is like these all things are in, in in integrated like i like staying Staying, staying warm, like when when you're on the move, like you you have a like, and if you want, if you are, and want to be, stay self sufficient, uh, like drying your stuff is a huge, like it's that 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 that, that makes it's a take a break, like if if you cannot make it work, if you cannot, for me, if if you cannot dry your clothing by wearing it by
0: wearing it and letting so as you're moving your clothes are drying on you is that what you mean
1: yeah yeah exactly okay. because quite often mm-hmm. when when you like the most challenging climate to to travel and be outdoors like like you know it's like when it goes be, be below five celsius mm-hmm. but, but it's not uh, dry yet so it's not not be below zero because then when's when, when mm-hmm. things get like minus five and colder yeah then it's beautiful easy easy and dry then camping is easy yeah But when is that rainy, humid, zero to five five Celsius range, it's uh, it's really challenging. How do you like you need to think every single piece of clothing in a way that 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 you that that you you can try them whenever. You just put them on, keep a sustainable pace by walking or cycling, and and it will be bone dry by the end of the day and you will be comfortable and uh, and same it comes to sleeping bag. Like I started my trip with that. Okay, it was a bit too too warm sleeping bag, so I was probably sweating as well. It it just got day by day. It got smaller and smaller and heavier. And then it was it it was a winter like light winter sleeping bag, and it was like plus two plus two every every day the first days of my trip. And it just got smaller and smaller and smaller. And then there was this night that it was actually. I was actually feeling cold in minus twenty, and and it because I, I knew those would be the conditions for me the whole winter because I started my long trip in the, just before w- winter from Finland. So so the solution was that I they had the first sleeping bags with a with a, a dry dry down the the water the water, water repellent treatment the
0: hydrophobic down
1: yeah and those were in the market so I changed to a much lighter sleeping bag but it had the down had this treatment. So, and then with that sleeping bag, I, it was drying always more than it got wet at
0: night. Yeah, that's that's interesting. I mean, sometimes, yeah, we can be overly, overly prepared to the, to our detriment as well. And I guess there's probably what you're saying there, like the sleeping bag was actually too warm for the climate that you're in. And so by the time you actually needed it to, to heat you, it was soaked because you were overheating the whole time. And we, Jeremias and I have talked about this before. We did an episode specifically on kind of uh clothing and layering and how to maintain your body temperature, whether that's you're running too hot or you're running too cold or running too cold. And I guess what a bike as well, that that it that is exasperated even more so because of the the energy that you're using on on a bike. But then also you're adding more of a wind chill factor in, I guess, as well. Um when you're talking about those kind of speeds, if you're going starting to get, you know, if you're if you're on a huge up up you know incline uphill is sweating profusely without taking enough clothes off. And then by the time you get to the top of the hill, wind chill comes in, you're absolutely freezing then. And then they're they're the kind of situations where I'd imagine you really get yourself in trouble. And then if your sleeping bag is soaked because you sweat the night before, then you need emergency service to come and get you. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> and all of, and all of that is is just regulation, isn't it? It's just understanding when you're too warm, when you're too cold, when you need to take clothes off and on, and things like that.
1: Yeah, and and make those decisions like well, advanced Like that was a great, great example, like re- reaching a high pass, like or any any uphill, with, like you know, and from the pass, that's a long, long way down to the valley. But and and so it's the same when you reach a pass, or you went when before you reach a campsite, you you need to like slow down. Slow down, so you let those clothes, all the clothes, to dry. So you slow down like fifteen minutes before you reach a pass or you reach a campsite. So so okay. you're dry enough. That's interesting. So you're dry enough when the when you either stops moving or or you start the the long downhill. And those are the situation I think when people when the when the danger like like you said. I I think I've. Like I've been many times in, in those situations myself, not 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 with the campsite. That's sort of easy because usually I slow down to look for a place for the night anyway. So it's like slow going for like a half an hour, an hour anyway. So I'm comfortable. Maybe you plan to reach the pass like, a, you know, a few hours before the sun sunset, but, you know, something came up, you had a puncture or you just met someone on the road or you you stop to fish for two hours right. and then you reach <laughs> and then you reach the pass pass at sunset which is of course beautiful and that's quite often what i ended up doing doing anyway but you need to know what you're doing if it's if it's not plus 20 and and like and dry. you need to know what you're doing before you start the two hour downhill because there is nothing colder than doing a two, uh, two, two hour downhill with but with like, with wet clothing, I put, I have my like proper winter jacket. I have like a proper winter gloves. I have absolutely everything I have on, on when, when it's like, b- b- even below like 10, 10 Celsius, it can already be with the wind chill. If you, you could be going 50 kilometers per hour for two hours. Like, like there are downhills like that. More, more than 100 kilometers. They do exist in, even in, in the, in the in the Himalayas and in the in in the Andes, probably in the Alps as well, and they are a, they are a real deal because you need to do them to 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 find a place to camp. Of course, you can maybe you can if you're luck, 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 lucky. There is a place to camp by the just by the road somewhere, but usually, like you go down to the valley there, is, there is water, there is river, there is probably a nice place to camp. And but it can be far away, so that's how people get called yeah, it's it's, it's, really it's important
0: heard. and i think a lot of again a lot of our listeners and a lot of the types of people that listen to this show we would be quite familiar with these concepts already and that's why i think there's like this really interesting crossover in skill set, um the ability to maintain yourself as if you're on a hike or if you're out in the woods or or anything like that and I kind of wanted to talk a little bit about the sort of the differences between what would be perceived as a traditional sort of bike uh, bike cycle touring sort of uh setup, which the bike packing stuff for me it's maybe it's just more appealing to me, but it feels cooler it feels sort of like more sort of streamlined or the ability to get into the into the woods with a bike i'm I'm really curious to see where kind of the the bike packing starts to cross over into the sort of wilderness skills, bushcraft, and that kind of thing. And I really do think that there's something there. And one of the things that you're doing to help that is, like we said at the beginning of this episode, you've started to connect bike packing uh, trails in the Arctic region. Could you talk to us a little bit about that and kind of where the idea for that came from and sort of what are the implications of that for that region? Because it's not just Finland, of course, it's Sweden and Norway as well. And
1: The I- idea for me to... To start developing bike bike, bike touring roads like now, now, when 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 I started thinking about when I was dreaming about that bicycle tourning at work in in Lapland, actually the the word bike packing was not even invented yet. And the first trips I did, um, like I I've done trekking in Lapland and I've I've done um, long distance treks in the Himalayas or actually just one, one 600 kilometer trek. But, and I still prefer, I still prefer to, to walk. Yeah. So Lapland, um, I did my first, first bike tours. They, they were all, all always designed a- around fishing. So they were fishing trips on the bike because I realized that I could reach, like it was much, n- n- I to reach those places by bike or I couldn't reach them. Felt like natural to combine, combine like sort of like trekking, trekking, cycling, like camping, cycling, fishing. So it just turned into, into bike bike touring. And one one trip that was, the route was not designed based on like the best best places to fish, but I and ended up fishing. Like that, that That was the trip I tried to li- live on fish and, uh, which failed and got me really hungry. And I, I knew when I did those trips, I understood immediately, like here is the huge potential. Some of these routes are actually quite e- easy to cycle. It was in 2000, well i think i bought like a trial bike you know like the like they do trial on a multi-bike multi, multi there is a like type of like bi, bi, bicycle trials as well and for those bikes they have four, four 40 to 50 millimeter wide rims which did not exist outside the outside the trial category there were no mountain bike rims that wide. so i bought the trial rims and like drilled them full of holes to make them a bit lighter. And then I like, created myself a bike that I could ride the roads in La- Lapland. And, and it sort of, it, it worked. I, I could ride on really, really rough, uh, quad, quad tracks. That, that's what we are having here. When, when you're not on official, uh, trekking routes, it's mostly ra- reindeer herders. So I sort of like, Hey, this works. And a few, few years later, I, I started my long trip and it was, I was into my trip, maybe like six months when I realized it. Oh my God, like what we have back at home is incredible. But then I went to, when I went to Central Europe, it was so hard to find places to, like de- decent places to fish. And I and, ended up not, not fishing much, much at all. in some canals because m- m- most of the like water I, I found on my ways, there was literally canals. I followed hundreds and hundreds kilometers of canals that I fished for pike. bike. It was sort of fun to, fun fun too but like then and the routes like sometimes it was so difficult to camp in Germany I remember not Germany like I always sleep in the forest that's like that's a natural safe place to sleep where you get wind protection and so so forth um but I couldn't find those forests I just cannot see any forest in the horizon I had to use a satellite picture to find a forest to sleep in and it was 20 kilometers away. <laughs> those were the moments six months into my trip i started to realize, hey like
0: finland ain't so bad
1: <laughs> like this is a kind of bike. <laughs> yeah yeah finland is, isn't that bad and the feeling got stronger and stronger and i think it was in the end of the first year on the bike that i started to talk to people hey when i get to home i will do this uh, amazing bicycle touring road network in the finnish lapland so after i finished my trip after i finished my trip then then I knew, of course, that that's what I wanted to do. And after I got my health fixed, I, I then I then I found found to make it my job. So, then I, then I had one presentation. One one friend of me helped me to organ have this presentation for the all the local municipalities and some of the com- companies in the area. I had a half an hour or forty five minute presentation. I, I I explained the market. I had done. Market study of the bicycle touring and bikepacking market for a Finnish, Finnish uh, bike, bike company that, that year. So I had that as a background. I, I had the vision, like like this is what Lapland can be as, as a as a bicycle touring destination. Like that, like the thing is bikepacking. That that is a perfect match to Lapland because that allows. That allows and that spirit of packing is a perfect match. I was saying, yeah, I managed to con- convince the, I managed to convince the municipalities, and then I managed to convince uh, an association, a, a Finnish NGO, um, who works for the d- d- development of cycling conditions in general and also by bicycle tourism, and at the same time uh, a new o- o- organization called the Finnish Center for Cycle Tourism. Was founded and I, I was actually the first person to start working there. So, yeah. So I got the I got a funding for the project for the first seven seven months, which is only route scouting. It went well and it granted. And, and then I a- a applied with those m- m- municipalities. We applied for the seg- second project. So the first one was Arctic bikepacking trail route development project. And the second one, Arctic bikepacking trail two and now and now it's coming we'll finalize the project like in a in a year so eventually there will be 3000 kilometers of routes maybe it will be 18, 18 routes in total which can be connected to one one huge
2: yeah that's very cool how uh, how was it um, talking to the municipalities or how has your or how has the project been received from, uh, for example, hikers and things like that. Because here in, in Sweden, you every now and then read around the popular areas where, where bikepacking, or literally just mountain biking, not necessarily bikepacking, but mi- mountain biking on existing hiking trails. It's um, It seems like it is a bit of a challenge to get everyone to mm. get along on the yeah, trails, yeah, I
1: I know the exactly the problem you're referring to. There was a there was a study. I don't know where it was. It was I saw it in a presentation of one one mountain biking consultant, and 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 he he said that if there are more like if if a walker uh, sees more than six cyclists per hour. Then, then, then the outdoor experience is is, is impacted negatively. Ne- 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 but it's less if it's less than six. It actually does not much have does not much ma- does not have much impact on the experience at all.
2: Oh, that's interesting. Yeah,
1: and it sort of for me. It was something I had to like think about for a while. What it means, but it sort of makes sense because it's when when you're somewhere remote. It's actually nice to see other, 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 other people. If it's not too off, you know, like every now and then, like one person, a few people are up per hour. You know, you stop to chat with them for for a few minutes and continue your way. Yeah, but if, if it's constant, then it's like yeah, I, I cannot be stopping all the time, and uh, and then of course for a, for a walker, for a tracker, if like especially if the bike is coming fast, you know, you get a bit scared and. Yeah, it's are definitely a nice thing, but but luckily, luckily I, I don't think there will be on some routes maybe it could be six uh, six cyclists per hour, but some of the routes are quite remote, so I don't think And at
2: the at, at the same time there's there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, gravel roads and connecting trails and things like that and small dirt roads that hikers most likely if I know myself at least I would if I would plan a route I would avoid all of those things because walking <laughs> on a gravel road exactly. is very boring biking on a gravel road yes. can be very nice yeah, that's... so there, there's of course a lot more space if there is plan but I mean I think it's a very cool cool thing that you're doing because people can always get along in the outdoors. But people might not want to think. So if there's existing trails, then it's easier to uh, just jump on something that already exists than to plan it yourself. Yeah,
1: yeah, definitely. Like, I, for for many people like me as well, I, it's really hard to make me to go some route that has been designed by someone else, just because I know that you know that has been scouted. Mm-hmm. That is nice, but I want to look for a nice detour. or maybe I maybe I look into the right. Like I, I want to, I want to explore a different area completely, just because it's I don't know, I cannot find any blog posts, and it's like you know, what the excitement then? And-
2: what is it that because um, with the the all train, I guess, genre of of uh, being out with the bike, exploring with the bike. What is it that makes that different from hiking? Is com- uh, regardless of uh, or if we take away the fact that you can put your stuff on two wheels rather than carrying it on your back, is it that you can get so much further in a shorter amount of time so that you can get further out to places versus with hiking? Because if you're in a similar environment or on some somewhat similar trails that a hiker, what is it that's the difference? What's the draw in that?
1: Yeah, that's definitely one thing that you can do longer distances and in a week you can see more but but for me it's really the flexibility like when when i when i've done trekking it's really like i need to plan it well well in advance right you have the the starting place you have the ending place it's not that you're going to walk from your it's not that you you're going to walk from the home to the train station and from train station to the trailhead and and um, then start but it's all planned in advance you have a specific amount of food in your backpack maybe like one or two days two days extra for a really long long but it's all really well planned in advance you cannot stop to fish for a week for sure and uh, and if you change your plans it's uh, yeah it needs some like re- con- re- con- consideration how, how, how to do it maybe you need to speed up maybe you need to I don't know, take a, sh- a shortcut or something, but by bike it's really easy. I can, I can be quite deep in the w- w- wilderness. I can do on a bike. You can do 100 kilometers a day if you like. Nearly anyone, if they have to, they do, can do 100 kilometers a day when when the terrain is easy. When when if if you're fit and if you're fit and going like I like even 150 is not a, necessarily a problem. And when the terrain is challenging, still you can do 50 when it well, if you have to. So you have this great, great flexibility, and also like because you are not carrying them, you you're not carrying the weight on your back. Like when you like, of course, the bike comes he- heavier as, as well. where you have the bike bags, wh- whatever bags you prefer or, or you need for the, sp- the specific amount of food you need for that, like how, or how much flexibility you you want. Like you you cannot you cannot bike, you cannot weight to the bike. And, and still be really comfortable you just need smaller gears like you just adjust them adjust the speed of your bike according to how heavy the bike is but the going can be like nearly as easy as as having less less food and water and fuel on your bike so it's it's, it's the flexibility it's the biggest because also personally I've I've carried heavy loads on my back and I found it less uncomfortable i got these big bruises on my hips and just haven't found a like a perfect perfect backpack to carry more than 30 kilos which you would need if you want to go months months alone but but on a bike i i found a way to 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 have five weeks of food on my uh, on 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 my bike not easily it needed plenty of planning and i had to go more like a survival mode, having the same food three times a day. So keeping it really simple and keep rationing simple as well. If I would, uh, it would take longer what but I but I've plan. And it's just, yeah, it's the flexibility. Beautiful.
0: I think it's also like probably less hard on the body as well in terms of, uh, I guess when you, yeah, you do have to climb hills and things, but then you've got that de- decline downhill then with the bike where you get time to just like cruise i guess whereas with a with a walking downhill your body's so sore in a different place now as opposed to on the way up so um i guess that would be something that i would think of that it would be less punishing on the body as well in terms of like how how much uh you know it's it how hard it is on your joints and things i think it's probably easier
1: yeah that when when you're carrying a heavy backpack there's no there's no such thing as like a soft walking like you have to yeah (laughs) yeah but when when you're on a bike there is a thing called soft pedaling it's like you're not putting you're not putting in any nearly any effort but the bike is still moving and you can keep you can keep soft pedaling in easy terrain for like for hours 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 hours
0: yeah no, i'm really looking forward to as i as said I've, I've only gotten into this in the last i've been interested in it for about six months but i've only actually gone and get gotten myself a proper sort of Tour, uh, you know, it's not touring bike, but uh, bike packing bike in the last two months, and we're planning. Our- yeah, I saw
1: it, yeah. beautiful
0: bike. Yeah, I'm really, really <laughs> loving it. Um, and it's been a real challenge for me, a real learning curve, and but also the, 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 the thing that I loved about bushcraft and things when I first got into it was just like whole new world of having to learn about different, uh well, different terminology, but then also different types of gear, how to fix it if it breaks. I mean, already I've I got like grease on my on my brake pads so I had to learn how to change my brake pads first for someone who's obviously not uh who's we've been on a bike for ho- forever that's a really easy thing but for me I was like all right so I have to what take the wheel off and then I have to you know so like just the very simple things of like okay so where's the pin you know but uh but I love this like new kind of world of learning that I'm kind of finding and then also this sort of the tinkering with things like you said about carefully refining your kit so that like your fishing rod and things like that i definitely see that in bushcraft and outdoors when people and maybe it's a slightly different thing because people are constantly tweaking their backpacks so Mm. to speak or uh you know that they'll be stitching an extra sort of pocket on here to allow them to carry this that and the other and there's a certain fun in refining and crafting your sort of uh your setup as well you know so I'm really really enjoying that but my first my first trip yeah yeah it's 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 really fun I mean is that an element of it that you actually find fun as well is that is there is there a certain sort of thrill in really paring down like the essentials or getting that like that bracket just to fit in the exact right place for another water bottle or you know whatever it might be of course that's uh,
1: (laughs) that's uh, a that that's a huge deal and there was this interesting study that showed that when people pre- um, pre- prepare for their trip, they actually, the, the mo- moment when they are the, the happiest is, is actually like somewhere in the planning phase. Right. Okay. So <laughs> that is interesting. <laughs> and it makes so much, it makes a lot of sense. You're planning your trip, you're preparing the gear, you're thinking of the foods. And, and I, I think. Like the, like improving your backpack setup and making like a changes to that one is a, exactly the same thing with the bike. Like how to, how to get what you need, um, attached to the bike in a way that you, you don't have like, so that it's, um, like for, for some I- I- items that you need on re- regular basis, they need to be like handy enough. Like for me, if it's, uh, if the climate is like rainy, rainy or cold, I need to have the like the color gloves, gloves, extra beanie, rain jacket, rain pads. They they need to be somewhere that I can take so one second that I can take them all on my camera. I, I do photography on the way, so I, the camera needs to be handy. But then stuff like the like the like the layers for sleeping and sleeping bag. you know, they are somewhere in the depths of the of the bike where I they do not need to be that, that accessible. And and then you then you're thinking of doing this, like a um, ha, like a high altitude w- wilderness, um, high high altitude de- desert crossing, like I did in the in in the north of Chile and Ar- Argentina. I, I was thinking for weeks and weeks how how the hell I can carry food for five weeks, like how can I do it? So I started to develop these new way to new ways to store different food ingredients, <laughs> like and then I. <laughs> So I, I, I ended up finding these amazing three liter bottles with a big mouth um from from Argentina. I found them to be perfect for lentils and this quick cooking pasta. So and then I so that's I carried a lot lot, lot of lentils and quick cooking pasta to save fuel, but then I had to carry like this it was three maybe three liters of uh co- cooking alcohol. Food, food, and uh, food and fuel. Who I think was 17 kilos, which is actually not that much food for five weeks. So it was. That's
0: yeah, not uh, bad. Yeah.
1: Yeah, but I, and then the water. Then the water had to be had, had a capacity for 10 liters of water, and my bike just didn't have the like. I just couldn't figure out where I would would put those extra bottles. So then I you know, I, I have to invent a way to carry extra six liters and that's what I did. And it's so empowering. I think this is like a one big thing in the background, like learning and, and being empowered by, by successful learning processes. I think it's, it's huge, makes you strong, like outside the wilderness as well.
0: Yeah. And it definitely gives you confidence. I mean, just again, like the small amount of sort of, well, I guess with the outdoor stuff in general, but then also specifically the bike so far, gained confidence in my ability to fix something on my bike because i mean even like jeremias and i have been talking about this for a while and i was using an old racing bike from the 80s like a road bike and i was trying to figure out ways to attach like dry bags and things to it and jeremias had the suggestion of like you know getting an old bike and like you know bringing it in and you know figuring out how to fix it here and there and that that whole prospect to me is was is, is really really daunting but having a having a new bike And then also like just find when things do go wrong the small things that I can be fixing them incrementally rather than like having a huge big project in front of me that I don't even know where to start with, and uh, yeah, it's really fun. But where would you recommend people kind of if they were interested in doing this? I mean, everybody has a bike in their garden or in their shed or whatever. Some of them are probably a lot more capable of doing trips than others, but. Where, where would you recommend people go whether it's online or whether it's like to actually physically get a bike if they were interested in sort of undertaking even like a weekend kind of local cycle trip around wherever they might live in the world
1: mm, i think
0: especially nowadays you could
1: spend as much time as you want online and trying to learn learn like how, how to do it but there's always the option to just Get, 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 getting the bike out out of garage, uh, strapping in whatever gear you have on the bike, and just just go going to the forest. It will teach you so much more than spending six hours six hours online. After one night, one night on the in the in the forest, you will you will probably know what worked and what didn't. And so I, I because there is this. This side of bicycle touring, like all the like u- u- ultralight camping and the bus bushcrafting, like there's this thing that you need to have. Everything must be like you know, like like in the end of the day, expensive. That's what the social media is pushing us towards, and that is that is like sad in the way because it it's not that like the top of the game, like the most expensive gear that like gives you the experience. It's actually actually doing it and sometimes people feel that that it that they do, if, like, if they don't own that specific item that like prevents them do, do doing the whole thing at all when in when in reality there is 100 million ways to do a night in the forest and they probably have uh, if, at least in Finland every single family has uh, plenty of old sleeping bags and tents in them. In the in in the garage, in garage, and if if not, everybody knows plenty of people who use this gear just a few times a year, anyway. So, it's
2: it, it, it's, it's it's nice to hear you yeah, talk about exactly. that because that's very much my philosophy as well. Like, it seems so easy to get analysis paralysis by looking at what other people have and thinking to be able to do X, Y, or C, I have to have that, but like. Every now and then, uh, just Google Johan Krop and his bike trip to Everest. He biked from Stockholm to Everest, climbed Everest, and biked back to Stockholm. On not a all terrain bike, on a, not a any any specific thing for from the biking perspective.
0: What's his name? So I want to.
2: Joran Kirop. Yeah. It's a, it, it's he biked from Stockholm or wherever he was to Mount Everest, climbed it without oxygen, and then biked back home.
0: Oh <laughs> cool. I just found uh, it there. Yep. So
2: it, it's the, the 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 concept of having to have all these new things is it's good. It, it's good to to a certain degree if those things are actually getting you out. But it is you and you know, I talk about this every now and then, like putting 10,000 uh, Swedish or 1,000 euros or whatever on equipment versus taking what you have or borrowing or renting and then using the rest of the money to actually take a trip up to Northern Finland and go on a hike is going to teach you a lot more than buying all the new stuff.
0: Absolutely. And I mean, I, I'm completely victim to it as well. Like the bike that I purchased is, is not... It's not a cheap bike by any stretch of the imagination, and it kind of comes back to what we were saying at the beginning, Tenelli, which is that the bicycle, in its very essence, traditionally, and also in Ireland, by the way, this is very much a conversation. Um, you know the um, what's her name? Uh, uh, Dervla. She, she passed away like only a couple of uh, a couple of months ago, but she's a very famous Irish cyclist who has traveled all over the world. Um, and she did this in the 70s and 80s and stuff. And she died only a couple of months ago and she was in her 90s, I believe. Um, but one of the things that she talks about or talked about was the um, the democratic nature of the bicycle. And like you said, like the ability for, for women to travel, kind of it's a safe way for them to travel and things like that. And with the kind of the commercial element of it, like we're talking about here, it does, I mean, I was, I was kind of quite disheartened by how how little I could get with my money. I was like, Jesus, man, these bikes are so expensive. Like I, I, how, like, and then also the fact that, you know, uh, the bicycle market is is at an all-time, like, sort of low right now in terms of supply and things because of COVID. The backlog of materials available to bike companies, you know, bikes are really expensive now, even more than they were before. And I was quite disheartened by the kind of the prices of things when I was just wanted to get myself, like, I remember just saying like, why can't I not just get like a decent bike to go cycling on? Um, My racing bike, as lovely as it is, I love it. It's an old, yeah, it's an old 80s racer. It just wasn't designed to take any sort of significant weight on it. Um, And so it just turned out that it wasn't really going to be very plausible or usable for a forest trip. Um, But yeah, it's kind of sad, isn't it? That things have to cost so much money. Yeah. And
1: I think this is where the like this is something like it has been the case for a very long time that you need every like your gear, like the bike, and everything at, like the all, all the components of your bike need to be bicycle touring specific. And and that became from the from the fact that the that like camping gear was heavy and the bags were heavy and the racks were heavy. So, and I, when I started my trip in 2014, I was heavy as well. I was carrying more than 25 kilos of weight, plus the weight <laughs> of the racks. And <laughs> so I, it was still the time, like the word bikepacking was not, it was not mainstream. Maybe, had, maybe the guys back in the States, somebody had started to use it, but it was only a year later when that uh-huh. website bikepacking.com was, was founded. And actually you asked where should people find the information about, as, as about, about bicycle, touring nowadays like super easy answer bikepacking.com like really they are that they created that genre they 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 defined what is what what is bikepacking and they've done it so well they brought this excitement and element of adventure yes like to the, I think
0: excitement yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think the word excitement there is is a perfect word to describe it bikepacking.com when i found it I, it made me extremely excited about like whoa what the hell is all this and i believe you, you've probably you've contributed to a couple of trails on there as well as far as i know that you've you've had some journal entries on that website as well
1: yeah i published five five routes from south america i got published there they contacted me in 2000 2016 they had just started and they were building this like global global map of bicycle touring like a Back, um, bike, bikepacking, bikepacking routes, off-road specific routes, and they contacted me if I was interested in con- contributing in it, and and I was because I had just put on the <laughs> I just uh, changed to a lighter setup, and I got the new bikepacking bags from Ortlieb in late 2016. At the same time, when they were coming out to the market and uh, built my own frame back, and, and that's that's what I was doing for two years: just scouting new routes and published five five of them. And,
0: so you're, you're well versed in scouting and routes by the by the looks of it. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so what I was about to say
0: about the the bike
1: bike packing, um, that's what it because it 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 helped you to go lighter. The, and and it was of course in in the background in the background what what enabled bike packing to develop was the uh, like the improvement of the uh, uh, availability uh, and lo- lowering prices of uh, light camping gear. That in in 2014, in 2014, I couldn't I couldn't find uh, like a weatherproof under one kilo tent from Finland and from Europe. I think I had to buy it from the States. That's what I did, and I couldn't find a mi- minus seven sleeping bag which was under one kilogram. Or I, I'm sure there were some options, but I just couldn't find them. So uh, that mm. that I didn't also buy. really expensive. Yeah, expensive, expensive too. But I was. I, I'm I'm a kind of guy who I, I knew that I would be using this stuff, right? so I actually I I I, well, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I I I talk about how people should use the gear they they own, but
0: no no no, but <laughs> but, but there is a nuance in that, and there is a balance in that for sure because I, I had the same conversation with Payman as well. It's like he's a very frugal guy. Uh, he like he a lot of his food and a lot of his kit, and he's very like savvy when it comes to a needle and tread repairing things, but he's also like knows when to, he also was talking about knowing when to invest in, in something that was important, like a sleeping bag. You don't really want to cheap out on a sleeping bag. You want, you don't want to cheap out on the things that are going to keep you comfortable, you know? And, um, yeah, so there is a fine balance. And if you do, if you are someone who spends, you know, more than, you know, five days a month outside, throughout the year then it is usually something that well i should probably invest in a good tent so i don't get wet i should invest in a good sleeping bag so i'm not cold a good underquilt, and probably a decent jacket you know for keeping the rain off my back or something you know there's there's certain pieces of kit that are unfortunately just like that's where the money should go but i also think that Again, maybe Jeremy, if you can kind of support me on this, but I also think that people spend their money in the wrong places as well because they want to spend it on the cool stuff and not the necessities. Like it's much more fun to buy a three hundred euro, I don't know, axe or a knife than it is to spend it on a pair of proper socks or shoes or you know or a good you know a good tent or something. So, and I think it's probably the same thing with uh, with with with, with the bikes. Everybody wants to buy. I'm trying to think of what the equivalent of that might be, like maybe the, the, you know the super cool surly racks or something when in actual fact what they need is a is a decent pump.
1: Yeah, yeah And yeah, definitely, definitely. and, and that was interesting. you mentioned the, the rack because it was sort of a bridge I was building the bridge towards the fact that because of bikepacking and then like the, the idealism of going light, you don't need a bicycle touring specific bike anymore, and that has been huge. So now, so now you can actually have that five five dollar rack or your grandfather's old rack you found in the garage and strap it to your whatever your your childhood mountain bike you, your parents still are holding in the, in the back of the house for some reason, and it actually works. It works. All you need a good good like a rubber strap to strap it in. Because it's not twenty kilos of weight. Okay, that it might be a bit heavier if you don't have the like a new ultralight gear. But but like you are still going quite light. Like I o- always advise people to when they plan plan they like a long longer trip, like a France, um, like we're planning to, to ride across the continent or around the world. I always like try to head for ten kilos. Like if if you're around ten kilos, like you will be fine. Then. And there are two reasons: like then your bike won't break, but also then you have capacity to carry food as well.
0: Yeah, that's what I was going to ask you: is that ten kilos before or after food? Yeah, yeah before, before yeah, food, yeah. Food,
1: food, food and what the extra so dry dry weight, I suppose.
0: Yeah, it's yeah, the, yeah. Of course, of course. Of course, but, um, but Tanelli, I just wanted to say again, thank you so much for coming on and talking to today. I'm really looking forward to tackling some of the trails that you've, uh, plotted out up, up in Lapland, uh, probably going to try and hit them in the, in the late, uh, late autumn. I think if it doesn't, it shouldn't be snowing until maybe November or so. So hopefully we should be good. Um but yeah have you would you where can people um kind of find your stuff or where can they find more information about you or the trails um if they're interested in exploring more
1: yeah the routes are on arcticbicycle.com which directs you to our like a national website of cycle tourism bikeland.fi and there once you get there just to change the language to english and and there you will find Arctic Bicycle Bike Packing Route Network. And uh, and I do have a blog. I make you realise I, I never I never finished it. So if I had it, the plan was to keep riding it the last two years. But I found I found writing and bike touring full time as a quite a challenging combination like most of the bike tourists do. <laughs> if you if you ride your bike for six six hours and um and then, yeah, it's not, not easy to ride after that. You need to you, you need to feed yourself. You need to maybe fish. <laughs> hope not. Hope you don't have to, and, and you stay warm, make a fire, and like enjoy the place instead of spending time on your laptop. So there's like one year, one one maybe a bit more than one year of, of stories from from Patagonia. But, so there there's some some background, and it's the same. It's gone bikefishing.com. and it's uh, you can find them short essence of the stories on instagram as well at gone bike fishing yeah gone bike Fishing.
0: cool that's awesome man thank you so much for coming on and talking to today. it's been a real pleasure yeah um, thank you and uh yeah as i said it's a, it's a really cool thing that you're able to connect all these these routes and, and getting people interested in getting out on two wheels so take care thanks yeah, man thanks for the invitation